What up, y'all? It's Chi, and welcome to the court. Welcome to the land of the dope and the savage. Where black women have a home court advantage. Where black women take the beauty and the brains and the range to produce something fantastic. Mm, and I'm dropping all the gems to make something beautiful. Trains and we got the raw, the real, everything in between. Yo, just know that we spilling that tea on the court. Do, 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 do. I'd like everyone to give a warm welcome to publicist, DJ, and fellow NYU alumna, Nikki Robinson. Thank you so much for making time to speak with me today, Nikki. Hi, thank you so much for your patience. My phone is going crazy. (laughs) I can only imagine. Guys, Nikki is the founder of an incredible company called Good Girl PR, a branding, public relations, and event planning firm based in numerous locations such as but not limited to New York, LA, and Atlanta. And Nikki, from what I've seen, you've worked with amazing, amazing talent, like from folks as big as Beyonce to companies and brands just as big. So my first question for you is, what is that like, especially since you're the founder of all of it? Honestly, I started my company by accident. I was a DJ. I kind of left my Wall Street job to DJ (laughs) and I became my own publicist. And then as a result, other celebrity DJs wanted me to be their publicist. So this company was purely founded from me helping myself. And now I can help others. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) That's so, so, so cool. So like, what's your experience been working with the plethora of clients that you've had? Well, honestly, um, celebrity work is quite easy because who would tell um, Beyonce no? So for example, when I first (laughs) launched Good Girl PR in 2008, I received an opportunity to uh, coordinate an event for Beyonce. And I was working with her father, who I still talk to on LinkedIn, ironically, and some people from her label. Mm-hmm. And we were going to do gift bags. So, of course, if we reached out to people for gift bags, they're not going to tell no to Beyonce. Um, I take more pride in helping small businesses. I think that's a little bit more difficult and challenging or even unknown artists. What makes it more difficult and challenging? Well, because people don't know who they are. So I have to leverage my hard work and my team's hard work and our network to get them placements and exposure. Insane. And um, yes, I know you're a DJ. I was actually, I was listening to your SoundCloud, like as I was doing work, it was just playing in the background. And I started off with the 90s mix. I love 90s music. So I was really feeling that. You know, what led you, well, you said before that you left your um, job on Wall Street to pursue DJing. Have you always been interested in music and being a DJ? Oh my God, I can't believe you listened to my mix. That is so crazy. What did you think? I loved it. It was just nice music to listen to. I loved all the old school songs. And then the Afrobeat and Caribbean. Oof. Love it. It took me back vacation mine. It was good. It's really, really good. And it's impressive. Like you have a whole PR company and you're a DJ. Like that even when you first told me, I was like, whoa, she's a DJ. Like I would have never put those two two things together. Yeah, and I just thought Peter Rosenberg was like crank calling me and it was a crank call. <laughs> yeah. So Um, I've always wanted to be a DJ since um, I fell in love with hip hop. Um, I am a 90s girl. 
always buying CDs so you can know you know how old I am um <laughs> um vinyl always had my you know hand on the pulse of hip-hop that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to NYU because I wanted to be around hip-hop so mm-hmm. when I was in college I was going to like the tunnel um and rebar and this is these are places that like would launch you know DMX's career or Biggie or you know like yeah. these are huge hip-hop clubs with major DJs that are still on the radio like your funk flexes of the world mm. so I always wanted to be a DJ but I was a girl and it seemed that the music industry and the DJ world was very male-dominated and then two I was pre-med economics at NYU I'm a total nerd right so mm. I'm killing my pre-med classes I'm you know I'm getting B's and A's you know chem lab bio mm. you know I'm doing all that stuff and I'm doing well, but I didn't want to be a doctor. And I didn't know how to tell my mom. Mm. Um, and I was like, well, the, the next best scenario, why not go to law school? Um, and I really enjoyed law school. And I'm, I'm really happy that I have that background because it helps me in my business. It aids me in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but always wanting to spin records, going to parties and saying to myself, I wish I could DJ. Hanging around other DJs, hoping they would teach me. And then one day I just decided just to do it. I was like, this is what I want to do, do it. And a fellow NYU classmate who actually used to run NYU radio, his name was Mayhem. He used to run it with Martin Moore. This is like 90s, like Wu-Tang era, you know, Mm -hmm. this is like legit NYU, real NYU radio days. Mm -hmm. Um, He gave me my turntables in 2007. All I did was practice. I just stayed in my... Um, room and practice and practice and practice. It's like everything kind of fell into place for you once you really started taking DJing serious. And like the fact that you were gifted your first turntables, like I was gifted my first microphone when I first started my podcast. And it was like, wow, like someone actually believes in me to pay for a whole microphone, help me pay for software. Like someone actually believes in the talent that I have, the talent that I want to put into the world. And it seems like someone or a few people believed in you and believed in the talent and believed in your want and passion for music passion for hip-hop and they wanted to see you win they wanted to see you win that in that regard I think they knew how much I wanted it but also um I I actually got my first turntables before that but they weren't technique 1200s they were some Stanton belt driven turntables that my grandfather actually gave me the money for oh um my grandparents not only helped pay for NYU and supported me while I was in law school, but pretty much would invest in anything I wanted to do. You know, I'm very lucky and that's kind of why I pay for it. Like if someone needs a laptop or whatever and I care about them and I believe in them, I'm going to help them get the laptop, you know, because somebody helped me get my laptop and somebody gave me my turntables. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just need a little bit of help. And it's okay to ask for help. I think one of the biggest things I learned in college was that I'm I can't do it on my own. And I'm an oldest child, so I was always so used to doing things on my own on top of being an oldest child of immigrant parents. So, like, I really had to do a lot of things on my own. So once I got to college, when I actually needed help, I didn't know how to ask for it. But, like, it really just took me saying, like, gee, like, stop being prideful. Stop thinking that you could do all these things by yourself on your own, like accept help. And then of course, like whenever I can, I pay that help forward. Like my sister came up to me and she was telling me how, you know, all my siblings, we all had the same exact dilemma that you explained. Like our parents all wanted us to be in the medical field. 
we all start <laughs> we all either started college in the medical field or like had like a told our parents yeah I want to be a doctor I want to be um a physical therapist I want to be a veterinarian and then like once we really got real with ourselves we were like no none of us want to do this none of us none of us can and I definitely shared that same fear I remember walking pacing back and forth in front of both like how am I going to tell my mom I don't want to be a doctor like what is she going to say that conversation with my parents was the best thing that could have happened for me because as scared as I was that they wouldn't support me it pushed me to work hard enough so they could see the product of what I'm trying to do so they can see how this this career space is more fitting for me because I could really make a lot of moves I can really do a lot of things and once they saw the internships I was getting they saw that I was creating my own podcast like everything really fell into place um did you ever yeah, have not to like put that? you on blast, but I totally know where you're going to after this. And I'm so, <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I was like, oh my God, I better do this interview because she might like say this chick did not show up for her interview today. Um, I am not booking her for any show <laughs> ever again. Oh my gosh. No, I would never. Listen, I'm so, I'm still starting out. Like I'm just, I'm thankful for every interview. And I want to thank you again, like, on air technically again for the help you actually helped me a lot with my show getting me people to interview that weren't just kids from school and the responses I've gotten it's beautiful like I submit episodes to the radio station too and after the one I did with um Nadej and Abby the news director was like I'm so impressed with the reach you have I'm so impressed with the people that that are able to come onto the show and I'm like Listen, I just have, I met a wonderful woman, virtually connected with a wonderful woman. And then, <laughs> you know, you re- you really helped me. You really, and, and you have no idea. And like, you've honestly, and I, even like the things that you post, the things that you say on Instagram, like everything you do, I'm like, whoa, she's, she's cool. Like, I really, I really hope I get to talk to her one day. I just thought you were, I think you're awesome. So even if you couldn't make it today, we would have had this interview. Like I really wanted to have it. So thank you again. (laughs) Yeah. I find myself always worrying about everyone else that sometimes I don't worry about myself. Mm. So I was like, I have to get this done. (laughs) Um, because we've rescheduled this so many times Mm -hmm. because of my schedule. It's tricky. I had a tricky schedule too, so it's hard. Yeah, but we're here now, so let's be present. Exactly. You mentioned um, your academic path, your career professional path, and I saw, like, from what I've seen online, like, you have a lot of experience in, you know, econ, technology, law, finance, media, music. So how do you think your professional talents contribute to the career you have now and the cur- and how your career project- trajectory is going? Um, that's a good question. I think recently I post that everyone should have seven streams of revenue. So at one time I thought like me having, when I was at NYU, I might have three jobs at the same time. Um, but all those jobs taught me a different skill set that I have applied to my current business even today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I worked at the executive MBA program and all we did was Excel spreadsheets and access databases. And um, they printed out a bunch of case studies. But anyway, um, in my business, I need databases. I need Excel spreadsheets. I need to understand how to organize a business. So I would say that 
all my experience allows me to produce different streams of revenue, which, I, which I'm doing. And um, given COVID and, and seeing how so many people were laid off or furloughed um, and then having to go on unemployment, um, I hope that's a uh, lesson to so many that you should have more than one thing going on. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I'm happy that um, people of my age have come to the conclusion that we're not going to only work one thing for the rest of our lives. I can't be one thing for the rest of my life. Like I can be in one industry, but have different hats within that industry. And also my um, academic background, my professional background, it's not all like media journalism. There's different things. Like I've worked with an entertainment lawyer before. I was a marketing and sales intern at NBC. And like from all those things, I learned so many different tools down to like email etiquette. And I I try to implement that into everything that I do. And, you know, also like we're a generation that understands that you it's not just one stream of income that's going to, it does what it needs to do, but like having more than one stream of income, having more than one way to make money in case something like COVID-19 happens again, in case you may get, you lay, you get laid off from your job, just in case anything crazy happens, you still have one other thing or a couple of other things to fall back on that you can work on and, and help you get back on your feet. Exactly. And I would say initially so many people would tell me I should focus on one thing, but these are people who didn't go to NYU. These are people who weren't pre-med economics. These are people who didn't have multiple jobs when they were in college. And you can't really take advice from people who never been in your shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, If you know you can handle um, various projects and you can manage them and still perform well, um, you know what you can do. You can't listen to someone else tell you what you can and cannot do. That's crazy. Can you talk a little bit about the virtual ex- exhibition that you recently curated, Black Artists in a White World? Oh my gosh. So I was doing PR for this art collection in Germany. And one of the curators said that Black artists were not as technically as good as white artists. We come from single parent homes and we lack literacy skills. This was recent? Yes. And I was livid. But instead of me, you know, going off on the person, I decided to do this exhibit. And when I launched it, share it with them, of course, Mm -hmm. and tell them why I'm doing it. And kind of use that as the backdrop of this exhibit and the, the reason for it. Um, and it's going really well. I've, I know. I saw a few of the um, art in there. I saw Abby's art in there. Like, And I read the message in the mission, and I completely agree that a lot of art, whether it's dance, music, design, um, fashion, a lot of it does originate from Black culture and Black people. But like, because of the way society sees us as just one thing, as just a race of people that lacks artistic creativity, we're never getting the credit that we deserve. Like, I recently wrote a paper for school where I talked about this, and I mentioned how, like, Elvis Presley became famous for Hound Dog when that was originally performed by Big Mama Thornton, a Black woman. Um, Flashback to 2020 when TikTok was, beginning of 2020 when TikTok was really on the rise and all these virtual dances were coming out. And the Renegade Dance, um, which was created by Jalayla Harmon, a young Black dancer, she never received credit for that dance. And it went very viral. Everyone was doing it. And 
the more popular white TikTokers like Charlie D'Amelio, they were getting um, the credit for creating this dance and she never received what she was supposed to. And then, of course, it goes all the way down to, you know, people like leeching off our features, our hair, sometimes our ethnic culture, sometimes even our lingo, like society... The white patriarchy really does do a good job of like belittling our people, making us feel small, but at the same time, taking from us and stealing from us and making it seem like they're the ones that create it. And I'm so happy that you chose to create and curate a beautiful virtual exhibit that kind of showed those people in Germany you're working with, like, no, you're wrong. We actually are creative. We actually do have a lot of creative talent. We actually, we don't all come from one parent households. Like we are a plethora of things we are not just one thing yeah it's just crazy that he said that to me um I'm assuming that he thought because I was an educated black woman that I was gonna fall in line and agree with him mm-hmm. but I don't care if I have a PhD um it's, you know I'm never going to allow anyone to talk about my people like that um it's just not happening I'm not that person mm-hmm. yeah I completely agree and I think it's just it's just hard because for the one for the one person you correct, there's 20 other people that have that same mindset. And it's like we're constantly trying to correct this backwards thinking about our people um, try, and also trying to, like, eliminate the divide that we have between our people, too. It's just a constant, constant fight. But I feel like as long as we're doing the work to just prove that we're not all one thing, we're not just we all don't come. We just. We're not what everyone thinks we are. And I think as long as people keep putting in that work to prove that, everything's going to be better. If it's all, <laughs> it's a day by day thing. When I worked on Wall Street, they would say, where did you come from? I'm like, oh my gosh. I would hit, or, or your email was so well, is so written so well, or you speak so well. It's like, really? <laughs> I'm, damn near, I'm damn near a vice president director at your investment bank. And you don't understand how I got here? Oh, oh. <laughs> if we didn't have until three, I feel on, on, on about this because, ooh. When I was at NYU, I think I got my email hacked by, um, like, a KKK person. Um, oh, no. But, yeah. But I just kind of ignored it. Like, happened. I know it wasn't me. And then I'm just like, it's just, it, it exists. My first racist experience happened to me when I was, what, eight years old at a dance school that I've been going to at that point, like four or five years. It was when a little white girl told me that she didn't like dark kids and she didn't want to sit next to me. And I, w- I was eight. Yes. I, like, that was exactly what she said verbatim. And that's when it clicked, like, oh, wait, no, like, what they're teaching us is not true. Like, MLK did not end racism. Rosa Parks did not end racism. Like, this is still happening, and it's being taught to kids as young as three, four years old. You know, I have a seven-year-old, mm, and yes. my seven-year-old is really teaching me about human nature. Aww. And because my daughter does things that grown adults do, and then that you would get mad at, but then mm. you're like, "Why'd you do that?" But an innocent little girl is doing the same thing a grown-up would do in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, I know that people are taught things at home. Mm-hmm. kids kids grow in reaction to their environment and to things that have happened to them mm-hmm. a kid 
comes out of the womb happy. Mm-hmm. Like they turn sad, something happened to them. Mm-hmm. So she was taught that at home. Mm-hmm. She heard something and mm-hmm. saw something. Mm-hmm. So that's on her parents. It's like you blame the little kid, but no, you need to be blaming the parents. And it's funny, like my mind, like, and even though I was eight and I was pretty young, I remember I try. I remember wanting to find out who her parents were just so I knew to stay away from them because I was like, "There's no way you, you that because that was the first time I ever heard someone younger than me, like no one my age was, and I grew up in a very white town, so no one was like ever explicitly racist to me. So when I heard that, I'm like, "Oh no, like your parents, like they're you either saw how they treat people of color and you decided to feel that same way, you'll." like you said, heard them say something to someone else. Like, it's just so many things that could have impacted that. And it's sad. But at the same time, it did make me stronger. It did make me tough. It did make me more aware of, like, what's going on, the kind of people that I do live around. And it just showed me, like, all right, racism still exists, but I can't let that defeat me. I have to keep going. I have to just show that I'm not, I'm more than just a black girl. I'm so much more than just a black girl. I'm so many things and I just happen to be a black girl. And I just keep trying to push that every, up until now. And until I leave, like this is, that's my mindset towards a lot of things. I love it. Well, you sound like you have a great head on your shoulders. I try. (laughs) I try to. Thank you so much. All right. So we're about to wrap up. So I think my last two questions would be, um, you know, how do you manage it all? How do you manage all that you do? And what do you think is next for you? That's a good question. How do I manage it all? So I was actually reading this visualization book um, on the train coming home. And in the book, it talked about how people lack energy and inspiration. So, you know, in my 20s, I think I slept a lot. I was always really tired. I don't know if you go through that. It might be your diet. I, I don't think I ate very well in my 20s. Mm-hmm. But um, at my age now, I eat 80% of the time I eat very, very clean. Um, I don't eat meat. Um, I eat fish. Um, I work out every day, which I didn't do in college. Um, and I don't hang around anybody who drains me. Mm-hmm. So how I'm able to do all things is really by managing the energy in my life eating good food, drinking water, um, and staying positive. Um, this morning in particular, I woke up at 3 a.m. I just have a lot of energy and it's just natural energy. And I wish I had this energy in college, right? Maybe I would have had more majors or something. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, I only need five to six hours of sleep. Um, I'll take a nap if I can. Um, and I'm very structured, right? So i I practice time blocking where I literally say from eight, eight o'clock to eight 30, I'm going to do this and eight 30 to nine, I'm going to do this or nine to nine 30. I'm going to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. That helps me kind of manage my day. Um, ultimately you want to have larger goals and break them down. So you kind of use time blocking to break down those smaller goals. Mm-hmm. But how I learned all of this was reading. I read a lot of self-help books, in my late thirties, um, I'm sorry, late 20s. Um, And then podcasts. um, The Secret was really huge for me, watching The Secret, um, like manifesting. 
Um, but ultimately you have to surround yourself around positive people. You don't realize that by hanging around negative people, it messes with your goals. It really does. So, um, you have to hang around positive people or be by yourself, in my opinion. I just want to echo everything you said, because it's so true. And like, I started, like like you said, the exhaustion, the tiredness you felt in your 20s. Like, I was starting to feel that recently. Like, all throughout college, I was tired. I was telling my mom, like, my four-year headache is over because I just finished, I finally finished school. But then I realized, like, a lot of that was stress contributing to it. My diet was not where it needed to be. I was surrounding myself with people that weren't the best for me. And it took some time to learn that, but like, and I'm still in the process of learning it, but I'm such a protector of my energy now. Like without a doubt, like anything that makes me feel weird off, I just don't even, I don't even let myself engage. I don't even let myself pay attention because I don't want my light to be dimmed. And people have, people really do try. Like if you are a bright shining person people will try to um dim that whether it's consciously or subconsciously and it's so important to recognize when that's happening and remove yourself quickly and be okay with removing yourself be okay with just being in your own energy being in your own self and just learning how like you said manage yourself manage the system that is you in order to produce the best work that you can so i i love that you said everything that you i love that i Oh, I love everything you said because I, I tell my mom all the time, like, protect your energy. Like, do not let people, don't let outside forces make you feel negative because the only person that's left with that negative feeling is you. And I refuse to let other people t- dim my light, make me feel small. No. That's fabulous because I think at your age, I didn't really understand the power of that. Mm-hmm. Um if I knew that then, oh my God, I don't know where I would be right now. Um, you know, um, it's taken me a long time to, I guess, learn those, um, those lessons. So you're really ahead of the game. You know, I named this episode One Woman Production because I interview a lot of women that have their own thing going on, whether it's a business or a creative platform or both at the same time. And I'll throw myself in there too. We wear multiple hats, right? Like we're jumping from skill set to skill set all at once, trying to maintain our baby. Some of us are juggling school and or a job on top of that. And in that effort to produce amazing work, it's so easy to forget about yourself. The main part of being an amazing, powerful woman is to make sure you feel amazing and powerful on the inside, too. We got to feel good mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually, and we should do all we can to make sure we feel that. Meditating, manifesting, reading self-help books, reading books by inspirational people, and so much more can really do wonders to your lives. Like in my own life, I do each of what I just listed every day on in addition to gratitude journaling and things like that. And I feel better because of it. I feel inspired to shoot for my dreams every single day. And getting the chance to speak with women as accomplished and inspiring as Nikki shows me that the path I'm on is what the universe wants for me. It's great. 
Well, that wraps up this week's episode. If you're interested in learning more about the lovely Nikki Robinson, head over to www.goodgirlpr.com for information about her public relations firm, Good Girl PR. Feel free to also head over to www.djnikki.com. That's www.djnikkie.com for information on Nikki's DJ career. Her SoundCloud is linked to her website, but if y'all are interested in the direct link, it's www.soundcloud.com slash djnikki. And again, DJ Nikki is spelled D-J-N-I-C-K-I-E-E. And y'all already know the vibes. Make sure to follow the podcast Instagram page at the court underscore underscore for updates on future episodes and so much more. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch y'all next time on the court.